Good morning, everyone. I got to make sure I set my uh, my timer. Now, you know, I want to I want to stick with my time. I want to be a respecter of your time. And if I can get this to work, see, I'm already wasting using up my time. No. Um, I wanted to start off first and say um, say a couple thank yous and hellos, and I, and I can't say it to everyone, so I apologize. But a couple things is one is um, I think about you know, like Jeanette and uh, Sue and Peter and oh, I got them all. Peter and Ralph, you know, um, some of our newer friends, I, I really appreciate you guys hosting us this weekend. Um, it's awesome to be here, and it's awesome to see your hearts for Burlington, for the church, and to hear your hearts. I mean, it just encouraged my heart greatly to hear so much of what you guys, your vision, your dreams, and how much you really love everyone in the room. And, and it's an honor for us to be here. So we're like, great, we have new friends. This is going to be awesome. And then Mike and Kristen, and I know Kristen isn't in here, and I appreciate the Ballsers uh, a ton uh, to see their growth, their change, to see James. You know, he and I got a chance to go walk over to the pool over there this morning about five or six times. And uh, it was really awesome. He was talking to me, and I didn't understand a word he said. But I just said, yeah, it's great, yeah, you know. So, uh, But then, you know, I really want to say uh, a huge, huge hello thanks to like Pat and Caroline and uh, Paul and Teresa. Um, I know that everyone here knows, but I, I really love them. I, I love everyone I've mentioned, but I really value and appreciate so much those four people, those two couples. Um, I know that you guys know them and you spend so much time around them, but I've known them for years. And to me, when I think of uh, Vermont, they are some of the people that come to mind because of the years of service here in the church and the tears and the sweat and the prayers and the fasting and all that. I know that God has used them to do, so I just publicly wanted to let you guys know. I know that we didn't get any time with you this weekend. I did text Pat to say, hey, you want to do breakfast, but I had the wrong phone number. Uh, But I love you guys, and uh, I I want to, as often as I can, to say thank you for your, your service for years. And not that you or anyone deserves anything, because honestly, it's God who does all. But, um, you know, he really says that we should respect our leaders and those who have worked really hard amongst us. And you guys have done that, as well as the Leaps are doing that, and, and Ralph and Sue, so I appreciate it. And all others who are leading here that um, I don't really know. So what I'm going to do, oh, ooh, you guys are good. Did I do that or someone else did that? Change the... Yeah, yeah. Can I grab that? You think? All right, thank you. I appreciate it. Man. You're awesome. <laughs> All right, so we're going to turn to Ephesians uh, chapter, Ephesians chapter four. So here's what I want to do this morning. Is it's my typical lessons. I have a bunch of points, at least three. When I say a bunch, one, two, three. This morning, I actually won't give you one to three points. What we're going to do is we're going to read and we're going to discuss. Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 16. And it came out of my times with God, because as I'm a disciple, longer, I've been a disciple for 32 years, the more I realize how little I know, and the more I really want to learn so much more. And I'm on this quest that as I'm reading the Bible, God, give me wisdom to make the Bible come alive, that it's applicable to my current situation. So a book that's 2,000 years old, how do I take those scriptures? How do I apply them on a personal level? But how do we apply that to the church so that the church can grow and become everything it needs to be? So Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 11. It says, It was He, talking about Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. He said, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then he said, then, and I love the word then in the English language, because it implies that there are things before the then. There are things that God would like for us to grow in and aspire to and wrestle to. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching 
and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow, grow up into Him who is the head that is Christ. From Him, from Jesus, the whole body, the church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I love this scripture because it gets me to think about this is the body of Jesus and these are the things that God requires. So one of the first things I want to talk about, let's go back and look at Ephesians, you know, back to verse 11. And he says in verse 11, a page turn there, verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, and he goes on and he goes on. This idea of God being the giver. You know what I love about this passage? He says, Jesus, he gave the church men who had certain roles. So when I think about the apostles. When Jesus first met the apostles, they were like us. And in their greatest moments, they were still like us. There was nothing in their characters that qualified them to be apostles. I mean, we all know the stories about Peter and James and John. I mean, there was nothing. But it is very interesting. It says, He gave us, the church, these leadership qualities, these individuals. So then, once He chose His apostles, then He gave them special gifts. But we're going to talk about why did He give them gifts. So they could be great and awesome? So they would like themselves more? So they would go, hey, you know, aren't I incredible? Or maybe it was because He wanted people to think, boy, these guys are amazing. He gave them for a purpose. One of the notes I wrote for myself, the church, the organization that we are a part of, This, my friends, we are not just some humanistic collection of individuals to make up a group. The Bible says that Jesus gave these certain roles to the church. If Jesus felt like it was vital for his church, us, to have these roles, it would also imply that that the people in the church are vital. People around the world, as I get a chance to travel and talk, ask questions about our country, the U.S. And they stand in awe of the president, the title of president of the United States. The immense power that the president seemed to have around the globe, and the president has great power. But it's interesting, what they stand in awe of is there is this great nation that this great leader gets to lead. So think about it. In order for the leader to be great, that means he's got to lead great people. If Jesus, in his incredible wisdom, says, you know, I need amazing people to lead, it was because the people were amazing and that they required amazing leadership. That he he couldn't just appoint anyone. And so what we are a part of, it's amazing. The leadership roles were designed by God. The apostles, the prophets, evangelists, and teachers. You know, some of those roles we currently have today, Jesus went out of his way to make sure that us and the church had great leadership. Maybe often we think of the leadership itself as being great. The reason why the church is great is because the apostles were great, and it's the reverse. You know, they were awesome because the people were awesome. And Jesus goes, I love these people so much. I'm going to give them the absolute best. So this morning, when you read that scripture, it was He who gave. What does it make you think about? And I wrote down a couple of scriptures I want you to see. You know, in the presence of Him whom He believed, God who gives life to the dead and call those things which do not exist as though they did. The Bible says God is the giver of life. First Timothy, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, gives life. He also said, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life. God is a giver. Command those who are rich in this present age 
not to be haughty, nor to trust in their uncertain wealth riches, but in the living God who gives. Who gives. This morning, you are here, guess what? God is giving to you this morning. You can comprehend some of what I'm saying. Perhaps you had a great breakfast. We all have a home, over a place over our head. We have clothes on our backs. We likely drove here unless you live close. You walked here, which would imply that it means you have an apartment or a house somewhere here. Think about it. This morning, the amazing blessings God has given us just this morning. He is a giver of every moment, every second of our lives. So when Paul is writing to the church, he first is trying to get across to the people, here's what I want you to know, church. We have a God who is a giver. And He gives because He loves. And you are special. This morning, do you believe you're special? I mean, you have to believe that regardless of what Greg said. But the truth is, there's a God who gives to you because you are special. He loves you. Thus says the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. God is the giver. I know that we know that. It is good to read these scriptures again. He has given each of us the ability to breathe. Mm -hmm. Think about how challenging it would be for your family if you stopped breathing. Mm -hmm. It would be hard. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom had a stroke in January and it was challenging. This is the lady who raised seven children on her own. Mm -hmm. And so when I say publicly that I admire no one on this earth more than her, that is a true statement. Mm -hmm. She, to me, I mean, she's not perfect. She has her flaws. She has her challenges, but I love her dearly. And I was devastated. So I flew home. And I remember sitting on, you know, on a bed, and I just say, I go, you know that I love you so much. I admire no one more than you on this planet. Now, I admire Jesus more. I admire God more. I mean, clearly as a Christian, I love God more than anyone. But as a human... Currently on the planet, I, I love her. I mean, I love my wife and my kids, and I love my wife more than anyone. But I wanted my mom to know, like, listen, you have done more for me physically than anyone else outside of God. But, you know, if God were to take her breath away, I would be challenged by that. But, you know, I would accept it. Because the Bible says he's the giver. And then he goes on, he says, then I will give them a heart to know me. That I am the Lord, and they shall be my people. I will be their God, and they shall return to me with their whole hearts. God is even willing to give us a heart to love Him. So Paul is trying to get across to the church. Man, we serve a God who's a giver. And then he goes on in verse 12. He says, to equip His people for works of service, so the body of Christ may be built up. I started doing some research. And what I love is this whole idea of to equip. You know, the word equipped here is either to perfect or towards perfection. So when Paul is writing to to the church, he goes, Church, God has given you great men and women to help you. And when he says the word to equip, it's a futuristic preposition. So to us, we have the Bible. He goes, here's what God has done. I love you so much. Number one goal is I am going to equip you so that you can get to heaven. Is that amazing? He's like, you're going to get to heaven. Everything that they're going to do, all the teaching, all the preaching, all the prayers, everything that you're going to experience, everything that God wants you to know, its ultimate goal is so that you and I can be together in heaven. That inspires me. He's purposeful in his appointment. He's purposeful. Do you believe he's purposeful? Do you believe this morning that the Bible's purposeful? Do you believe the scriptures that God has given us is purposeful? I would love to have walked with Jesus. I would love to sit at Peter and Paul's feet. I'm not sure I'd love to hear the challenges about how sinful I am, but you know, that comes with the territory. But you know what? I don't have that luxury. You don't have that luxury. But we do have his scriptures. And so when he starts off, it's so much deeper than what we think. He goes, church, it's to equip you. The goal is to help you get to heaven. I wrote down, and and the Greek word really is pros, the one that's talking about the future. And we must therefore realize 
that guys, we're not just on this earth to be great people. We're not even on this earth just to be great Christians. We're not on this earth to be just great people at work and friendly and kind. Although those are all great and we must become those things. We're here so that we can be with God for all eternity. And that sometimes be there are some challenges and then there's a lot of victories as well. When Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, these are the things that he remembers. These are the things that Paul is trying to get across to the church. Do you feel as if, or maybe not so much feel, do you realize that God is equipping you to be with Him forever? You must. And if you're not there today, you've got to get there. Because that is what the apostle is saying to the church. And then he goes on to equip God's people. And I love this whole idea of the people because the word here is, uh, I probably wrote it, hagios, it's Greek, it's the word people, saint, or disciple. Paul's like, alright, church. God has given us leadership, great men and great women. The goal is to get you to heaven. Get who to heaven? The saints. I remember as a young Christian, I didn't realize that most of the Bible was written to people who were Christians. Honestly. When I studied the Bible, I remember sitting down, I was in college in Tallahassee at Florida State, and this guy named Sam Powell, who leads the church in New York, we were sitting down to study the Bible. And I was convinced that, you know, all I got to do is look up the word Christian, I go through the concordance, and I'm going to get everything I need to know. So he asked me, so how many times is the word Christian in the Bible? I was like, boy... I never really read it, but there's got to be like a gazillion times. Because, you know, isn't the Bible all about being a Christian? There's got to be like a gazillion where God's like, okay, if you want to be a Christian, do this, do that. And he said three times. I was like, what? Just three times? And I remember looking at those scriptures with him. You know, in Acts, the Christians were first called disciples in Antioch. I was like, ooh, that was a good one. And then the next scripture was in Acts where Paul was being persecuted by the king. He goes, do you think in such a short time you can convince me to become a Christian? I'm like, well, that doesn't tell you how to be a Christian. And the other time was in Peter where Peter wanted to give instructions about Christian households. To say I was a little disappointed would have been an understatement. It's like, what? But then we talk about this word disciple. What's a disciple? I'm like, ooh, those are like super spiritual people. I mean, there was like the apostles. Those are the people who memorized the whole Bible. Those are the ones who could do miracles. And it was amazing to sit down and realize that the disciples were just, they were the Christians. So as he's writing, he reminds the church that you are saints. See, our modern translation would say people. And for us, we're like, our country has people. He was far more specific. He wanted to let you know that, no, 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 you are not just people. You are saints. You are Christians. And the Christian was a derogatory term, and so it would make sense they didn't use it very much. Then it became one that was really popular, but there is a reason he used that word saint. I want to show you some things I learned that I found out about the saint. I'm going to come back. Oh, All right, tell you what I'm going to do. I don't think I put them on here. I want to read these scriptures to you. In Revelation chapter 5, he says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders, they fell down before the Lamb. Each was holding a harp and with a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The Bible says that there is this bowl of incense that went up before God. And what was in this bowl? was the prayers of the saints. Revelations 8, 3 and 4. It says, And another angel came, and he stood at the altar with the golden censer, and he was given much incense to mingle with the prayers of the saints. And then the one I love, Revelations 14, he goes, Here it is called for, here it is a call for endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, as you read the book of Revelation, you realize that he's talking about, you know, there's some future, there's some present, but the consensus, and I agree with it, it's about the persecution the Christians were facing in the first century. Can you imagine going through persecution, and someone says, listen, I just want you to know something. 
I want you to know something, Paul, that it is challenging now. And you're praying prayers, and people are dying, people hate you. But don't worry. Because right now before God, there are angels. And what they're doing is they bring those prayers before God. And I love their descriptive word of incense. Like we all love things that smell good. It brightens our heart. It puts a smile on our face. Can you imagine God's smile? And it's not, He's not smiling because we look good, we dress well, we sound well. He's smiling because the prayers of the saints. It's not prayers of the people. It's not prayers of the world, although I do think God hears the prayers of the world. Paul wrote to that church, and he wanted them to know that this incredible God that we serve has given us the great leaders that we have, or the great servants is probably the better word. He's given it to us so we can be equipped for the future, and oh yes, it's just for you, the saints. And the word saint carried with it so much. Do you believe that you're special to God? Oh, not that we're more special than anyone else, but you are special. So when you walked in this morning, how'd you come in? You know, hey, this is Sunday service. This is what we always do. This is what I do as a Christian. This is how I roll. I go to church. I've had a lousy week, a lousy day, and that's okay. So you just come on in. Don't feel special at all. If we were going to meet the governor of Vermont, I don't know if it's male or female, he or she is a guy? It's a guy. So if he walked in the room, I know for a fact this room would be different. You would stand. You would greet him. If he had cameras and a crew with him, you would say, sir, how you doing? And if he said, hey, you know, all the people in the room, I want to sit and talk to you. And you're on television. You're feeling special. And he's like, anything that you want to share, anything you think the state of Vermont needs to hear and know, anything. Yeah, I want to talk about Jesus. Great, let's talk about Jesus. You'd walk away going, that was awesome. Sort of sad, though, for you and I, that we can enter God's presence, and it is not the same enthusiasm. Because we're not convinced that that's how he sees us. See, sometimes man can make us feel special and make us feel awesome. And I'm not saying that it's wrong, but what I am saying to you and myself is when we read the Bible, it's purposeful. And as a saint, it's special. And it causes humility, not arrogance. Because then I want more and more people to be saints so that they too can see what God sees. Then he said to equip God's people for works of service. You know, that word for, once again, is, is there. And I mentioned the word for, to, equip, could be for, futuristic. And then when he comes to the next one, he says four works, it could be two works of service. The preposition for that word changes. And that word means immediately. So here's what he's saying. We all became Christians. And God is equipping us to get to heaven. But right away, what we learn, we must start to give. I noticed when I came in church today, or when you guys came in, there were some of us who went around talking to people. And there were some of you guys who did not. I don't know, maybe you had a hard day. Maybe you had a hard night. I go, why not? Is it too much? Is it too much on a Sunday? To go, you know, I'm going to be with the Christians. Because this is Jesus' church. It's purposeful. We're not just some collection of humanistic organization. But you know, he gave me salvation. And then what I'm required to do, it says from Ephesians, when it says to, for works or service is I am to immediately give. Did I meet someone this morning? Did I give a hug or say hello? How you doing? Can I pray for you? Can you imagine if each one of us this morning said, you know what I'm going to do? I've had a lousy day. Lousy night. But the goal is heaven. God is building 
I am changing. I have something I can give. And you came in and you go, I'm going to meet two people. I'm going to meet three people. I'm going to go, hey, Jeanette, how you doing? How was your day? I'm great. Good. She says, how are you doing? You know, I had a rough night. But you know what? I love God. And I know He's going to work things out. He always has. And then I go to someone else. And I'm like, hey, how are you doing? Hey, you know, great. Anything you're learning? I'm learning this. And they say, how are you doing? You know what? I wasn't doing that great. But I came in this morning, I talked to Jeanette, and she encouraged me. And so I'm doing a little bit better, and I appreciate the conversation with you. It is not about being passive. And I am not speaking down to anyone. I'm not trying to put anyone down. What I'm saying, though, is we can read these scriptures, and we totally miss the point. And he's saying, right away as Christians, you are to begin to put into practice the things that you are learning. And we are all learning quite a bit. How, what it would be like if we go, you know, everyone, share your favorite scripture. How electric, how different it would be here. Because that's all part of helping to build the body. And so, for two, God is going, we have so much this morning. We have enough. We do. We have enough to inspire an entire state. We have enough to inspire an entire country. My mom, when she's gotten a chance to visit, or my wife's mom, you know, my wife's mom became a disciple after 20 years. So she's come to church, she saw things, she saw our kids. You know, it took some time, but it was enough for a family to inspire someone else to become a Christian. It was enough for the church. We don't, we don't need a hundred people, although it would be awesome. Be like, Lord, we, we, we want all of Vermont to become Christians. But you know, we don't need all of them right now to become Christians. Just this room, willing to give back some of what God has given, is enough. And we understand not every person will become a Christian. Verse 13. Look at verse 13. And then he says, Until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining to the whole measure the fullness of God. What I love is the idea that we're striving. Paul says to this church, Jesus has given us great servants. And these servants are helping us to get to heaven. And as a result of that, you've learned something, now turn around and do likewise. And you're going to continue to do that until we all reach unity in the faith. You know, we are imperfect. I know that I am. Both in my faith and in my knowledge of Jesus. And so if you meet someone who starts touting that they know the secret, run. (laughs) That, you know, you don't have your right perspective about Jesus or God, run. Because the truth is, our perspective is ever-growing. After 32 years, I remember sitting down reading the book of John and thinking, Oh, I love this Jesus. He's so awesome. And then I read the book of Matthew. He's like, Oh my gosh, I love this Jesus. He's so awesome. And I read Luke. I'm like, Oh, Jesus, he's so awesome. And he's like, Oh my goodness, Jesus is so incredible. And then my favorite book in the whole Bible is Hebrews. I remember reading Hebrews and going, Okay, now I really believe Jesus is incredible. Because Hebrews 1... God calls Jesus God. My mind was like, oh my God. And then as I continue to read through it, and then I think chapter 7 is one of my favorites where it says, um, He is able to completely save everyone who comes to God through Him. I thought, Jesus can completely save them. Like, oh my goodness. Total blow away. That was 32 years ago. It's interesting. I feel like I'm learning more. I'm like, I really don't know anything. (laughs) There's so much about Jesus to know. And when Paul is writing to the church there, he says, you know what? It's an ever-growing process. Can you imagine if Peter, James, or John walked into this room? They would clearly know more about Jesus than the rest of us because they walked with him, talked with him, slept in the same room with him, ate with him, laughed with him, played with him. So there would be no one in this room who would know more. But I dare would say, you would find them feeling like you're inadequate. 
What is wrong with your learning? What's wrong with your perception about Jesus? Of course they wouldn't say that. What they would say is, I want to inspire you. Let me tell you an aspect of Jesus that you probably never knew. Because we each grow at our own different pace. And here he's saying, that unity we will reach as we grow in our faith and our knowledge of Jesus. That is our quest. Our quest is to become more and more and more like Jesus. Romans ten seventeen, he says, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Christianity is not a mere matter of talk or feelings. It is also a matter of growing in our knowledge of Jesus. And then I wanted to write my little, myself a little note. You know, our knowledge about Jesus is always based on Scripture. Our faith about Jesus is always based on scriptures. My mother and my, my dad's wife, who we grow and we have a great relationship. So I was his 18-year-old disciple. I was excited. I went home and from college and I was ready to study the Bible with my parents. So my mom wasn't very open at the point. She's like, nah, I'm not open. Uh, but my dad said, sure. Now he and I had a really bad relationship. When I studied the Bible, they asked me if I hated anyone. I said, just one person. And then who was that? I said, my dad. And they looked at me sort of weird. See, my dad left my mom, and she raised all seven children. My dad reemerged when I was in high school. And we, he came to my football games. I just really, at that point, 16, 17 years old, I just didn't really have much to do with my dad. So I went off to college, like, whew, that was good, you know. And I thought becoming a Christian, like, this is awesome. When I sat down to study the Bible, and I was going to share about my hurts, I really thought Sam and the brothers were going to be sympathetic towards me. They're going to go, oh, yeah, you're right. That was so wrong. Your dad left your mom to raise seven children. You have every right to be bitter and angry and mad at him. How dare he ruin your life? So this is my tape. I was like, this is awesome. I got my, like, my one-on-one counseling session. They're going, to, they're going to love it. That is not what I got. What I got was... You do realize you need to forgive, right? Did you just hear what I just said? About my dad, what he did? And I get. And Sam was good. So let me get this right. You want Jesus to forgive your sins, but you don't want him, you don't want to forgive your dad his sins. Yeah, but you know what? He, he doesn't understand how much I hurt him. So do you fully grasp how much you hurt Jesus? Mm, good point. Well, um, what could I say? There wasn't much I could say. So I sat down and wrote my dad a letter. And those days when I went to college, we didn't have cell phones. And uh, I could call him on the phone, but that would have been a long conversation. I'd have to pay for a long-distance call. I was a college student. Not going to happen. So I wrote him a letter, apologizing for all that I felt, all the things I said, you know, Thought about him, and, and I never expressed any of those things to him. So you can imagine the shock he got when he got this letter from me. But he appreciated it. So when I went home, I was prepared to study and show my dad my newfound convictions and knowledge about Jesus. So we sat and we did study. And we got to the sin study. I sort of skipped over that part. I was like, well, I'm not sure if I'm ready to hear my dad's sins. But, you know, we studied and we went on. And we got to a point where my dad's like, he didn't believe in baptism. And that was challenging. And I'll never forget his wife. She said to me, she goes, Greg, so are you saying, and she went through her old experience. I couldn't deny her experience. I had never, I didn't know. All I said is I can't say yay or nay. The only thing I can hold to is I said, I can only hold to the scriptures. Yeah. And her point to me was that God had given her great knowledge. She had great wisdom. She had this faith that God had personally spoken to her and given to her. And again, I go, God does that. He speaks to people. But my point to her was, but he didn't speak to everyone that way. So what about the people he hasn't spoken to in that way? Is there a standard? Is there something they should go by? And it all came back to, really, God's Word. And so our faith and what we believe has to be based in the Bible. And so we will reach that unity. It's a forever progression. That the more and more as Christians we grow to imitate Jesus, the more we're going to become more unified. Our knowledge of Him is going to grow. And then in verse 15, he says, He 
says, instead, he says, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. This is probably the part that challenged me the most as I studied this out. Because I was all for, I appreciate that Jesus underlines that his church is not some humanistic organization. And I love the fact that Jesus had given us servants to help us get to heaven. And I appreciate the challenge that I need to turn around and I need to serve. And I don't have to have some deep knowledge or some great insight. I can just turn around and give just encouragement. Even if I don't know scriptures, I can say, hey, you know what, I'll pray for you. Jesus loves you. So those to me, I loved. But then when I got to this one, I was a bit more challenged. Because again, I remembered and realized that Jesus was equipping me to be mature. But one of the things he said that that I thought about is the end of our growth cannot be obtained in this lifetime. So when he says, instead, speaking the truth in love, I realize that there's a Greek word that I looked up, aletheo. It implies being truth as well as speaking the truth, following the truth. And when I looked it up, one of the things I learned is is that the Greek word, it is virtually almost impossible to be translated in the English language. I wrote that because truth must be married to love. So I've always taken the scripture as speaking the truth to love. Like, hey, I'm going to tell you the truth. I am going to talk to you about God's word. And you're like, bro, I'm going to just continue the truth, man. That's not exactly what he's saying. What he's saying, speaking the truth, and he's not even saying the speaking is a verbal speaking. What he is implying that you and I, we must be truth, we must live truth, and we must share truth. Your life. Does your life reflect truth? Does your life reflect truth? Can you not say a word and people go, wow. If they watched your life, they watched you in the course of a day, they followed you around, they're like, wow, without a word. Because you know they could do that with Jesus. And then we're not perfect, and I'm not here to say that we've got to be perfect. What I am here to say, though, is he's saying is that there's a truth. We have to live it. We have to be it. Is that our perspective this morning, church? Do we live it? Do we speak it? Do we share it? Because it's far greater than the things that we say. So we must exude the word of God, which is the truth. We must speak the word of God, the truth. And we must follow the word of God, the truth. You know the scripture in John, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And then in John 1, he talks about how he is the truth. The concept that Paul is getting across is, is as people, the truth is Jesus. We got to speak Jesus. We got to live Jesus. We got to be Jesus. But I also love the scripture where it says a smoldering wick he didn't snuff out. A bruised reed he didn't break. He was the most compassionate, kind, loving man on the planet. That is the challenge for us that I believe that God is asking for us to become that way. And then in verse 16, we'll finish out in verse 16. It says, From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. For him, the whole body joined and held together. I realize as an American, I am very individualistic, and I think you are as well. It's our culture. So, education, it's all about my grades. It's about me. I gotta get, you know, I can choose to get an A, B, C, whatever. I get. It's, it's me. My entire life, your entire life. I'm not saying that's a good nor bad. It's just what it is. So you take individuals and you put them in the church, and then we start reading scriptures where Paul says we. Some of the earlier parts of the scriptures, what I, I didn't point out, he says it was he who gave some to be apostles and prophets to prepare God's people for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up. And then he gets to verse 13, until we all reach unity. See, as an Americans, we hear the word we, and I take that to mean me. 
and I say me, and then it's really collectively. But that isn't what Paul was implying there. It is not an individual. When he says we, he's talking about us as a church, as a collective group. Well, am I telling the truth? He's like, Greg, do we really believe that? Well, let's look at this scripture. It says, joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself. He, no longer, he didn't just all of a sudden change and go, okay, I'm going to talk about this whole body and now I'm just going to talk about the individual. Build yourself up in love. And then he says, as each part does his work. It's a hold. You realize how vital you are? This church will survive depending on what we collectively do together. I do subscribe that as a Christian, I need to work hard spiritually. I need to make sure that I am daily wrestling with God, learning things that God wants me to learn. But when I am a part of the church, I've got to realize that it's so much greater than me. That this unity that he's building, I'm a vital part of that unity. Well, isn't that, that makes sense? Because we started off, he says, God gave these great service leadership roles in the church. To do what? To build me up? No, to build the church up. So when we go to heaven, yes, God wants to be with me as an individual, but he wants to be with the church. He says, you know, see to it that no one has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Scripture after scripture after scripture, it's about the people, it's about the group, it's about all of us. It's not just about the individual person. Jesus stands over Jerusalem and he cries tears. Because he wanted Jerusalem, he's like, oh, I wish you would accept me. He was not going, gosh, Ralph, I wish Ralph had accepted me. And not to imply that he wouldn't say that. But it is interesting to me that he tried so hard to build how important the church is. You see, the church, again, it isn't merely individuals working in isolated situations. But we are an organism that will die or survive according to how connected our parts are. In the church, you realize, I mean, there are, there are baby Christians. There are young men. There are old men. Young women, mature women. You know, some saints are highly intelligent. That would not be me in this situation. There are some like my wife and Peter. You know, they're just, they're brilliant. And then he says, but then there are some with strong faith. And I don't take the strong faith to mean the person who's up front. I go, you give me the man or woman who has faced a lot of challenges. And that's the person. I go, I want to imitate your faith. You know, I know I get a lot of encouragement for speaking. I know that. People will say, hey, great job, or not a great job, or, you know, thank you for the message, whatever. Think about the person who never speaks. He or she may not get as many thank yous as I would get. Well, you know what? If God gave me the talent to speak, then I should speak. But I also have to remember, I am who I am because of you guys. Some people are just great speakers. Well, you know why they're great speakers? It's because it's people like you who have encouraged them or helped them out where they've gone back and they've worked on their speaking. And so it's not their great talent. Like, wow, they're so talented. Yeah, they're talented. But you help them. And see, there are people in the church with great faith, and I think they're the ones who have wrestled. Maybe in this room this morning, you've had some hardships. But you know what's awesome? You keep coming. You come to church. And you're not critical. You are a giver. You share. We were laughing up here the the pre-meeting before, and I appreciate the song leaders, but I started thinking as we were talking, there's a group of friends who were in Sarajevo. They're four Christians in a Muslim country. They're the only disciples in that city from our church. And you know what? Those four people, when I'm there, I love being there. We meet for midweek, it's the same four people. And guess what? We smile and we sing songs. So we have a Bible discussion. We go out and we share. And I, I learn a couple little words. And people really like talking to people in English. So i like, hey, that's, that's right now my speed. I speak half the language of English. I can do this. I can talk God, Bible, Jesus, come. You know, I can do those things. We show up at Bible discussion. The visitors, those four and me. And we do the same thing we do. 
Sunday morning, we go around and we share like, hey, we are having a church service. We're having it in the same place we had the Bible discussion, same place where we had our D group. It's in this brother's house. Same people. We sing some of the same songs. But that's what you do. Yeah, they would love more people, but I was so inspired that they do this every single week. It's challenging. But they love it. See, I'm proud of some of you guys. You continue to do the same thing. And you know what? Only God is going to give you credit for that. You don't even know the four people I just mentioned. But you know what? It's not important. What's important is God knows them. And even if it was a hundred people, His expectation would be exactly the same. It wouldn't change. In this room, there are some who are abounding in love. In this room... There are some people who are tireless servants. You know, I love the well. I mean, just work really hard. Work, work, work. And I hate that I keep bringing... Work really hard. Serving. But you know what? God wants them to keep serving. What I love about the church is, you know, I was full-time in the ministry. I came out of the ministry. Guess what? If God had given me talent to do something, I've got to do it. Oh, man, I could choose not to do it. It wouldn't make him happy. It wouldn't even make me happy. But you know, I don't get credit for all the things I did in the past from people but my God will give me credit and that's why I do it you know the wells they will get credit from God when you serve you will get credit from God and also in the church there are some who are just amazing at grace you are you are willing and ready to forgive and that's something that we all have to imitate there could be no unforgiving people in this church and I'll say that there could be no unforgiving people in this church. Oh, I'm all for we got to work through things because I've had things to work through. But how do we come to church on Sunday and say, God, forgive me. Take our communion like, God, we're so grateful you forgave us. This is how we feel. We feel encouraged and the load is lifted because you forgave us. And like my dad, unwilling to forgive others. And then I love that this church is filled with people who are super encouraging. There were some when I went around to say hello. You guys were greeters and smilers. And I'm not saying the rest of you guys aren't. But here's a challenge. You should become more that way. I'd imagine Jesus would be that way. But you have that heart. And so I want to leave you. Because I want to show you this scripture and other translations. Christ has put each part of the church in its right place. Each part helps the other part. This is what is needed to help the whole body together in this way. The whole body grows strong in love. Another translation is, we take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do, the source of everything we, the church, not the individual, everything we do. Now, as an individual, yes, the source of everything we do, He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flows through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. Under his control, the whole body is being fitted and held together by the, by the support of every joint. With each part working to fulfill its function, this is how the body grows and builds itself up in love. I want to close with the story. We have some really good friends in, in, in New Hampshire. And they're probably our best friends, Randall and Amber Dominey. And they just became house church leaders. Um, we had our group and our group split. You know, they're from Georgia, and Amber, um, her mom is dying. And her mom and her, they've had a really challenging relationship. So her mom is, has cancer, and the whole church we started praying for her, was it last year, a year and a half ago? We started praying, and when she went back, she went through her chemo, and when she went back, some of her checkups, it was in remission. So we were like, oh, this is great, it was awesome. Well, unfortunately, it returned. And then, so Amber flies home because... They were thinking, mom may not make it. And I think her mom is 55, 56 years old. Again, not a good relationship. So our friend Amber goes there as a disciple, and she convinces her mom to come back to Maine with her. Mom has never been here. So her mom, who's died of cancer, probably has two months, flew back last Wednesday to Maine 
to move in with these guys. And then my wife, I appreciate so much her heart, her and Amber. So this mom is not a Christian. So their heart is to help mom become a Christian. So they start talking to mom, asking questions. So I come home from work, and I'm going to get ready to go to the gym, and my wife sends me a text message like, hey, do you think you can come up to the hospital and, uh, you know, be the minister, whatever the word they chaplain. use, chaplain? Um, I'm like, sure. What time do you want me to come? Uh, what about 7.30? Great. So I go to the gym, and I pray in the whole time. I'm like, Lord, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Wow, challenging situation. So we go up to the hospital, and we talk about a whole bunch of stuff. Go in, I give her a kiss a couple times, hug her, hold her hand. And then my wife's like, don't squeeze her hand too hard, you know, because I squeeze really hard. But I said, your hands are really warm, my hands are cold. As I tried to make light jokes, but uh, we wanted to be really loving, holding her hand. And she smiled, and then we started talking. My wife and her and I, about God and the Bible. How do you feel? Where do you feel? You know, she felt, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know if I'm right with God. And then sometimes I couldn't tell, you know, if she understood the questions or whatever. So we read scriptures. And we talked. And then we asked her about studying the Bible. And so she wants to study the Bible. So the next day, my wife goes over and they start studying the Bible. And the goal is to study the Bible so this woman can become a Christian. And so you guys can pray for us. Because we really want to see God help her to become a Christian. And so it's amazing. But to be in a situation where I go, I'm not sure what to share. I don't even know if the scriptures... What do we share? And I thought about the church. And I think about this scripture. I am a better person as a result of being with that woman, Tammy. God is changing me, teaching me, showing me. Tammy needs the people in the room to help her become a Christian. I will forever be different. Now when I walk away, perhaps God is saying there's a greater urgency to see people become Christians. See, I look and I go, Tammy is helping us as a church to grow. Because then I will go and share the message of Tammy. The good heart the last hour, the quest to become a Christian, the challenge that I feel that, listen, I need to be this way. I need to have done this for people all the time. See, this morning, you. Tammy is going to help you. Are you urgent to help people? Do you realize how vital you are? Do you realize how amazing God's church is? Conclusion. God has given us great servants to equip you You are prepared to go to heaven. Challenge today. You need to begin giving to people. When church is done, we need to ask people, how are you doing? Anything I can pray for, encourage them. You have no clue what kind of days or weeks people have before they got here. Mm -hmm. This is where we get energized. This is where we reconnect. This is where God's church helps us to go back out in the world to be like Him. So that we could be stronger. But remembering that He has done that so that each of us can speak the truth in love. We can live the truth, be the truth, show the truth, so that ultimately the joints are held together. We are stronger. We are better as a body. Yes, as individuals. But collectively, we are so much greater as a result of what God has given us. Brothers and sisters, I love you. Thank you for the opportunity.